Frisians and halflingers. Be immortalized in a gigantic late Bronze Age Oxfordshire hill figure. Pull Queen Boadicea on her fiery chariot of destruction. And you want to cry, Richard the Third? We'll give you something to cry about. My kingdom for talk told to me. <laughs> A flute, a flute, a flute. My podcast for a flute. <laughs> That's what we call a deep cut. Oh yeah, you gotta, you gotta know that. Something for the Shakespeare nerds. Gotta know that Shakespeare. Welcome back, everyone. I am Omen Said, and I am Nick McGill. Together we are Feckless Moms, and this yet again is Talk Tall to Me. Yes, a sweeping equestrian journey through the ancient origin, meticulous breeding, and recent pasturing of legendary prog rock band Jethro Tull. Song by song, album by album, Nick Meat Money McGill and Omen Smooth Mouth Sade will take the bit of musical conjecture between our foaming jaws and bolt in a sweaty panic across the entire Jethro Tull discography, lovingly lashed by the cruel flute crop of Ian Anderson. We will trot through the early jazz years, canter across the lush fields of the concept albums, break into a full gallop when we hear the synthesizer, and ultimately be yoked to that heavy load that is the works of the late 80s. And if uh, if one of us breaks a leg, you know what happens, Nick. Oh. Oh, no. Really? Pow! Oh, St- straight to the glue factory. Think about the bunnies. Just think. think about, tell me about the bunnies. Nick, we're back. We are back. That is that is a fact that I don't think anyone's surprised about. Yep, we're back. We are here for just about the tail end of the album. We are covering the titular track this week. Happy horses. Happy horses. I've got two more quotes from Ian. In regards to this album. Ooh, lay them on me. Let's jump in. In particular, this album, but also pretty much specifically this song. Here we go. The dedication on said album, the album we are discussing, to the indigenous working ponies and horses of Great Britain. Mm, Indeed. Ian's response to that is, you have to remember that there had been various horses used in cultivation but they were small, working horses, the pit ponies that pulled coal out of the ground. Mm. Working horses are not necessarily of a larger stature, hence the album's dedication. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. So even okay. though the song is about heavy horses, the album is about heavy horses, it's it's really to, it is an appreciation to encompass all of the working horses. Not just the heavy ones. Not just the heavy ones. He's not body shaming here. Yeah, that's that's true. It's not horse shaming. That's fascinating, yeah. And then also we have, I think there's something to be said for people getting their hands dirty. Mm. And I think, in a way, there's something more romantic and, dare I say it, something more satisfying at the end of the day about humping bales of hay than humping Marshall cabinets into the back of a transit van. And you get cold and sore hands, but it's good for the soul, and it's all tied in with that thing that along the way and over the years, you've done something, be it farming or whatever. 
But the one thing is that you have to be prepared to get down and dirty and get wet and cold, get back to the earth, to a more traditional way of doing things. Yeah, I wonder, Nick, if that's what drove Ian to invest in salmon fishing, that he wanted some, he wanted to get his hands dirty. I don't think it would be terribly coincidental. I mean, there has to be cause and effect here. He's he's moved to the country, he's got the expendable income, and he wants to be able to do something with his hands. Besides playing the flute. Besides playing the flute that can survive while he's not there. You know, mm. it's it does it's not completely reliant on him, but when he is available to be there, he can also be contributing physically with his hands. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's sort of a charmed life, you know. I I get to work with my hands when I want to. Yeah, right. To to take the edge off from being a world traveling rock star. Yeah. He has he's earned it. I mean, absolutely. He's, he's earned it. I don't I don't think it's I don't think it's silly to say that, you know. No, and I think that a lot of people have that impulse. You know, I think that that's what drives middle American office-bound dads across the U.S. to go out and mow the grass obsessively. You know, it's it's yeah, the sense yeah. of, even if it's like really removed from any kind of productive agricultural process, it's it scratches that itch of getting involved with the land somehow. Also, Lawns are truly a scourge on our country and should all be replaced by food-bearing food forests. Yes, 100% agreed. No more watering patches of greenery and and mowing them. Yeah, It's just silly. What is this, yeah. Versailles? <laughs> let, them, let them mow their lawn and let them eat cake. Let them eat grass. <laughs> <laughs> Great quotes, Nick. Anything else? That's it for me. I think we have to cover something else that we haven't yet done for this album. Omen. Our shame? No, no. At this point, no, we're, we're a couple years in. We don't need to hide that anymore. <laughs> That's right. There's no, no covering it up now. <laughs> no, you have, I believe, our, I want to say, annual, our, our albumly Rolling Stone review for this album. I sure do, Nick. We missed out on it last album because apparently Rolling Stone dropped the ball. No, they just, they liked it, so they couldn't post a review. They didn't have have anything mean to say, so they didn't say anything at all. Exactly, yeah. However, here, Rolling Stone on September 21st, 1978 at 4 a.m. traditional time. (sighs) Yep, checks out, yep. Michael Bloom writes, The Secret of Jethro Tull's longevity is that the band always plays its cards sparingly. For example, No Lullaby, one of Heavy Horse's two epics, deploys an extensive catalog of orally exciting effects. Flanged drums, echo on the vocal, a mightily distorted guitar cadenza. But each item appears only momentarily to nudge the slow dirge into grandeur. Another case in point is Acres Wild, a simple love song that's wrought entirely from the differences in timbre between Ian Anderson's mandolin and guest Daryl Waze's electric fiddle. Similarly, Tull restrains its tonality to basic chord changes and folk song melodies, but the rhythms are lavish, particularly the instrumental arrangements where no two players are allowed the same part. <laughs> they asked, they begged for it, and Ian said no. <laughs> Not allowed. John, John, 
John, that that's not your rhythm. That's not allowed. You put that rhythm back where you found it. <laughs> Heavy Horses is merely the follow-up to last year's Songs from the Wood, Mere- which may Mere- well have been the group's best ever record. Oh, there it is. Anderson wow. warns that this is the end of the folk-tinged tull that the band will return to boogie forthwith. That's a pity, because this genre has suited Jethro Tull wonderfully. Wow. I have to say, Nick, it's weird to read anything positive from Rolling Stone about Tull. The first half is just statement of fact, and the second half is... Is that actually a really positive review? Begrudgingly positive. Right. It's a shame that this is over so soon. (laughs) One thing that we liked and didn't review at last album, we love it. It's gone. Pity. I hate that I like this. I I hate? Why did you make me love this and then take it away from me? (laughs) Wow, what what an interesting review. And one of the more accurate and appropriate and least acidic of the reviews. I do agree with the main premise, which is that the secret of Jethro Tull's success, musically at least, is that the band plays its cards sparingly. I think that's well said. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I was expecting that to kind of devolve into like a really seething complaint, but it was, it was really just kind of explaining the really kind of skillful, sparing usage of of technique that Ian has really perfected at this point. Yeah. To review the review, however, I don't know <laughs> that the metaphor of playing cards sparingly really, really works. You you play, you play the, you play the cards. You, you play, play the, the cards. cards. You're, not like you're like, you're dealt. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, all right. All right. End of the bidding. Everyone show your cards. No, I don't think I will. I'm going to play only three of them. No, I'm going to save these for next round. All right, but that you forfeit. I don't care. I'm saving all these cards. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a bit of a muddled metaphor, but I mean it works. I get it. Yeah. 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 Well, wow. What a nice change from Rolling Stone. That, Exciting. It's refreshing. Finally. Thank you, Rolling Stone. Anything else, Omen, that you have before we jump into the song? I have a little Nope, I got nope. nothing. Okay, great, great, great. I've got two tiny little notes to remind us before we actually jump into the listen that are, are very specific to this song. Okay, go for, for it. First of all, let's remind our ears that this is the second song that will feature Daryl Way on violin oh, of Curve Thank Dare. you for that reminder. Yep, let's listen for that. And also remember that Ian fully admitted that he had a whopper of a head cold when he was in studio singing this song. So let's see. I'm curious to listen for that now, now that I know to actively try and spot it. Let's see if we can find something there. Did he have a head cold or was he, like me, allergic to horses? He could be. He could have manifested that allergy. I I would have. Unless he sang it on horseback, which, you know, I mean, he could really want to get into the part. Yeah. I, uh... Well, let's have a listen. <laughs> let's listen to Let's gallop on in to heavy horses. Easy now. (sighs) 
Uh, let me just dry my tears quickly, and, uh, and then I'll be ready to go. All right. Okay, Nick, so there's uh, heavy horses. There, there it is. Oh, man, I have, a, I have a very important and serious question to ask you. I will answer it in all seriousness, as I always do. Favorites aside... Okay. Favorite songs aside, is this one of Jethro Tull's best songs? Yeah, absolutely. Without a doubt. Yeah, I mean, this this really falls into the, like, oeuvre category of Tull, I think. I think it's on every single best of, every single Tull mix, etc., etc. But in terms of just being one of the most powerful amazing songs that they have like by golly this song is amazing you know i know you and i grew up in rural areas but i i would find it difficult to believe that there are a lot of people who could listen to this song without feeling something without being moved without being moved it's an it's a very emotional song i mean even if you didn't speak the language the music is composed in such an emotional way. Yeah, it is. It is such a meaty, layered ragu of music, like a lasagna. It's a lasagna of music. But you know, very few lasagnas have moved me to tears. Yeah, no, I think I could. I can agree with that. I've I've not yet wept at a lasagna, but this song. <laughs> And and another this song will not give me heartburn too, so that's also an added yeah. bonus. Yeah, also that. <laughs> yeah, I mean this is you know, this is a song that I have to admit to a, a certain amount of trepidation when approaching this yeah. episode. Yeah. Just because it's like Aqualung, you know? It's so epic. It's it's, it's so, so epic. epic and it's so Jethro Tull. It's so iconic of the work yeah. of Tull. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it is a nine-minute song. It's just under nine minutes. Wow. It feels that way, that crazy length without any serious repetition. You know, they're like at the end there, he kind of mixes up some verses and repeats some lines. But for the most part, it's all he's telling this whole epic tale. And, and yes. because of that, it, that's what makes it feel so much bulkier and stronger. You know, in terms of the the lyrics and the telling of the story, it is appropriately composed and structured for the content of the physicality of the horse itself. Yeah, you know, just the size of the song, the yeah. length of the song, and the the breadth of the composition. It does leave you with the impression that you're standing next to a living being that is just unbelievably big. I, I, I'm i going to admit something to you, Nick, and I hope I don't hurt anyone's feelings. I don't really like horses. I think they're weird. They frighten me. I don't understand them. Yeah, Ray doesn't like horses either. I love them. I, some people use horses, you know, for therapeutic purposes. Yeah. And I, I mean, that is probably what exists in my own personal hell. <laughs> my brother, Taking my notes. brother's wife loves horses. She has yeah. lots of horses. But And I think that part of the thing that freaks me out is like, they're just so big. They're big. They're big animals. They really are. Yeah. It's your lizard brain saying, I could die here. So let me take myself out of this equation 
and just just not put myself at risk. So then you get jump in your Abarth and drive away at ridiculous speeds. In my safe, safe Abarth, your, yeah. which would never rear up because it thought it saw a snake when yeah. in fact it was a stick. It won't bite you. It won't bite you. It won't bite unless I ask it nicely. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the musical composition and some of the musical features that we have. Oof. Okay, I've got I've got plenty of notes here about that. Sure. We've got over a minute of just musical prelude of the entract of this tale. Yeah, I think it really has the sense of of having an overture. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for. It's yeah, absolutely yes. It introduces so many of the themes. Yep. Right. I mean, right from the top, the first thing we have is the bass and guitar pairing up and doing harmonies to do. Right. Yeah. And uh, the drums are in there as well. Yes. After they finish that phrase, the piano comes in really strong and nice. It's really prominent in there and it adds so much texture. It yes. just into the repetition of that phrase. It's very, very nice. And then they kind of go a couple of more times and then we get into the the chorus. The the sound of the chorus, basically. With the flute coming With in. With the flute coming in, yeah. With kind of that riding rhythm. Mm-hmm. Yes, and the flute providing the melody. A lot of the songs on this album, I think, lack in terms of the complexity of something like this. Well, it's going like Rolling Stone said. I can't believe I'm quoting Rolling Stone. Yeah, right. You know, like Rolling Stone said, they they opt for a simpler construction, which helps underscore the folk approach. Yes, exactly. And I I wasn't I wasn't leading up into a complaint, but I, I was. Basically, gonna. I guess I was going to mirror that. I, I forgot that's what they were going for with Rolling Stone. But be, because it's taken us this long to get something so majestically built, yes, that it's oh my gosh, is it, it stands powerful. out. Yeah, yeah, it like re- a it really big does. Old horse, like a big horse in a field. Yeah. yeah. There's something that I wrote down in my notes that I can't quite interpret, which is I have the word drums, and then I have some little pictographs. <laughs> Which I think are I'm trying to replicate the rhythm of going. Did it did it did it Okay. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's in that section where the drum the drums do this little this quick little cymbal riff. Everybody is just making a masterpiece playing along in this song. The strings, they may come in earlier, but I really noticed them at the second verse. And knowing 
knowing Dee's track record and how she likes to produce things in terms of when the strings do come in, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the first time that we hear them. Right. She likes everybody be, to be warmed up before the strings come in, and I, it's that's just true. so much more powerful. It's so good. To keep the old line going And we'll stand you abreast at the back of the woods Behind the young trees Roughly To hide you from eyes that mock at your girth Your eighteen hands of the shoulder Now, speaking of strings, I had a hard time finding the... Uh, our guest's fiddle player. Yeah, I didn't hear him. He didn't really stick out to me until about four minutes in that breakdown. Okay. Yeah. In that real breakdown. I, yeah. Yeah. And when I first heard him, I was like, oh, wait, were the strings that I heard earlier just the violin? But no, there are there are sweeping strings in this as well. I think that Daryl Way is paired up with the usual suspects, the usual suspect string players. Yeah. Giving it a more rough, folky, rural sound mm-hmm. while maintaining the beauty of Dee's composition. Yeah. You still hear him, though. He's like he's like first chair violin, so he's got the solos and the... First chair fiddle. Yeah. First chair fiddle, yeah. He breaks the melody and stuff. It's very nice in there. It's very, very lovely. So he's mixed in with those strings. He's, I mean, he's doing the same thing they are, but it's, you can pick it out if you really do listen closely enough. It's, it's a texture. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit like in the Lord of the Rings trilogy where they brought in the Norwegian fiddle player to play on the, the Rohirrim theme. Is that true? Yeah. It's a different kind of a fiddle. It's a slightly different traditional fiddle and it, it gives that it just gives a flavor to that track where if you don't know it, you're like, oh, the fiddle in that just makes me feel so like horse riding Viking inspired. <laughs> Little do you know, there's, it's actually there's a, a Norwegian reason. fiddle and that's why it sounds yeah. like that. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. This is similar, except it's not Norwegian. Right, right. It's horse. It's a horse playing. Daryl Way is a horse. He's a centaur, so he can play it. As you a know player. what's appropriate about having the fiddle on this track, Nick? Mm, that it is the only instrument that you can play while riding a horse. Correct. Yes. Try a tuba. <laughs> no, be- because what is a fiddle bow made from? Ooh, catgut. But horsehair. Oh, horsehair, yeah. Horsetail hair. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's a little sadistic, actually. 
Like you're it, you're dying it, off, but I'm using your hair to play this. <laughs> I think they I think they can harvest the horse hair in a in a sustainable fashion. Oh I don't no, think you have to kill the horse to no. get the tail hair. One hair per horse. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a Harry Potter wand. <laughs> you have the matching bow. <laughs> Right. <laughs> that was the bow that Voldemort played, his cantatas on. When oh, they, no. they played uh, dueling violins. That's right. Oh, boy. Also, we have at the second round, once he we, we, get, we get out of the, we get out of that breakdown, we get back into the standard verses and singing and everything. Yes. We get some acoustic in there. There's some nice Ian acoustic. Oh, yes. Yeah. I don't remember ever hearing that before, but it's really nice. Let me find you a filly. It's super pretty. Going back just a little earlier, yes, when yeah, Ian yeah. comes in, when he first starts singing, mm-hmm. we have some doubled up harmonies, some oh my gosh. Ian squared. The Ian voice. I'm going to sing like this to make myself sound like I'm harmonizing. On October's day, towards evening. <laughs> and I could totally detect the head cold. You think so? Yes, absolutely. I think because th- there was a vocal quality that I have mm. always interpreted as passion. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, in fact, it, it is, is passion plus head cold. Inflamed sinuses, yeah. Now that you mention it, in uh, particularly in that, that deeper harmony, I can hear a stuffiness. That's funny because I hear in the upper harmony, you? you know, when he sings ironclad feathered feet, you hear a little break in his voice. And I was I always interpreted like, oh yes. He's he's feeling it. Feet. He's, yeah. <laughs> they have feathers. We put iron on them. <laughs> and he's just I think that's I think that's the result of the head cold, which really yeah. lends it this very rough emotional yeah. slightly strained, but like like strained in a good way quality. Yeah. I mean it's Things happen. Almost as if he is the farmer singing praise to his horses at the end of a long day of working. So he's he's You can hear the dust in his voice since he's been behind the plow all day. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That is super convenient. Uh, (laughs) I I love it. I love it. And I think I love it just like a just a millimeter more knowing the, the truth behind it. Yeah. But I do like the I do like the image and the story that that you kind of build around that sound. Well, you know, my I've always heard my singer friends say that they sing the best when they are a little bit sick because it forces them to use really good technique because otherwise you can't sing. Oh, sure, sure. Whereas when your voice is healthy, you can just blast it out and you don't really, you know, right, like, yeah. yeah, whatever. Be- Ooh, my voice is amazing. You can rest on your laurels, yeah. Yeah, and you're you you can be sloppy without being without that being noticed. Yeah. If you don't uh-huh. use perfect technique when you're sick, you'll sound sick. Yeah, right, right. Those voice textures aside, and we can I mean we can keep praising the heck out of the, the composition of this song. And we will. And we will. But it's just the two parts, the juxtapositions of the of, of our our chorus and our our verses. Mm. Those differences, they're so beautiful and powerful. And it, it it's the two parts. They're, they're two representations of the same horse. You know, they're two sides. Like a horse can be sweet and soft and gentle and loving, but it can also punch out of the gate 
with with power, with nonstop yes. power and plot along, and it can change those levels of energy and still get you to the end of a nine-minute song. Yeah, there's a defiance in the choruses. Yeah, and even when we get later into the into the verses, there are dynamic changes between the verses, which are really exciting. Um, I want to highlight something regarding the time signature, or should I say the time signatures? Oh, no one is surprised. Continue. And I I will admit to having ridden some horses in my youth. Is, is that something you need to admit to? I well I well I just have. Well I mean I don't want to I don't want it to sound like I'm like oh I just hate horses. Out oh of, okay okay. Out of just pure spite. I hate horses because I've interacted with them and I think they're weird. <laughs> but there is I know from having just the tiny bit of not falling off a horse that I did that the different foot patterns, the different running speeds of the horse. Oh sure. Better technical terms. But you know the difference between a trot and a gallop and a canter and uh, whatever else. Would it be a gait? Uh, the, yes, the, the gates. gates. Thank yeah. you. The various gates of the horses have their own time signatures. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, whether it's clip clop, clip clop, clip clop, clip clop, clip clop, clip clop, or tick a dum, 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 tick a dum. Or that horse is sick. But what we what we have at various points, at least in the chorus, we have a mixed four four and three four. It's mostly four four, and then it goes into at least one measure of 3-4. I'm sure there are much more complex things going on throughout, but that was just one that I was able to pull out. Okay. On, on my, all on my own. I'm, I'm proud of you. That's Thank you. more than I got. <laughs> so I want to, as we're talking about the different gates, I want to pull out some examples. Standing like tanks at the top of the hill. Yeah. We have Barrymore come in with a real, what feels to me like a gallop. Hmm, Okay. After Bring a Song for the Evening, we have this incredible three-note with all the drum and guitar and bass coming in for that, which for me, I feel like goes back to what you were saying. It illustrates... It is a representation of the dynamic musculature of the horse itself. Yeah. Definitely, yes. Bring a song for the After the living horseman's cry, Martin leads this incredible charge into a big instrumental section. Mm. In which we have some just wonderful stuff going on. I mean, everyone really riding in together in the same musical saddle across the hills. It's really beautiful and, and inspiring and rebellousness. Rebellish. Rebel- Rebellious? Rebellicious, yes. Yeah, rebellicious. Mm-hmm. I wonder how much of this, the, 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 the process of, of composition was like 
well, this sounds like a horse, so we need to do this. And this feels like a horse running up a hill and, and this and this. How much how much horse illusion was there put into this or how much was it just kind of a a feeling that it that they kind of built it together and, and it just kind of turned out this way because of the the heavy horse zeitgeist in the creative room. Yeah, I mean, they're all such clever musicians, especially at this point when they're all so in sync with each other. Although oh gosh, I... Yeah. There have been some allusions to tensions building in the band during this album. Sure, sure. Which is, I have heard it said that that is pretend, that is part of what contributes to the dark feel. Mm. But, mm. We, you know, regardless of how they were feeling, their fingers were in sync on the instruments. Yeah, at least that, yeah. So I would believe it either way. You know, I would believe it if Ian said, all right, here's, listen to these three rhythms. I want to incorporate these. And I could also imagine him just being like, here are the lyrics, here are the keys, and it coming out naturally because they're all just oh, so sure. smart. Yeah. Oh, oh, absolutely. I could I could totally see Martin sitting quietly in the corner being like, I, I think this sounds like a horse. I saw a horse <laughs> once. <laughs> it sounded like this. Beautifully. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Anything else musically, Nick? I think let's let's jump into content here. I think we've got oh, a lot. Oh, 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 teacher calling me, calling me. About content? Nope. Oh. Music. Music. Oh, you've got something more to add. M- really, Mr. Sade, is this is this pertinent? Should we <laughs> I'm raising my hand. Okay, okay. Yes, go ahead. May I go to the bathroom? What? No, that's not it. <laughs> I I wanted to point out that this is one of the few times where I think that a, f- a musical fade out mm. is appropriate and works. It works. It fits. I didn't even, it didn't even register to me. That's how well it worked. It works so well for so many reasons. And I think that part of it is that after almost nine minutes, having a big flashy stop of an end would feel kind of forced. I mean, I'm sure they could do it. Yeah. But I think that what works about this is that it feels like you've had this massive experience and now it's just fading away and it leaves you with a little bit of space to reflect. And on top of that, it it also gives you the sense of a horse riding away. You hear those foot For beats, certain. those hoof beats fade off into the distance. And it also gives that sense of this is not stopping. This this story, yeah. the tale that I am telling you, the the lesson that I'm giving you will continue on even after I stop telling it, even Ooh, Nick, after you stop listening to it. You're giving me chills. Oh, oh, baby. Sorry, John Travolta. No, but it, you're right. It's like the end of a spaghetti western. The hero rides off into the sunset, and you're like, oh, he's they're going somewhere else to do cool yeah. stuff again. He will go kill people in another town. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Why don't we talk about content, lyrics? Yeah. So, so overall, we know that it is... To honor the working horse, it is the plight of the working horse that they are falling out of fashion and that they, because they are no longer useful, Mm. as dreadful as that term is to talk about a living animal, because it is no longer useful. I've heard Ian mention that, like, there, there was a time when some of these old, like, really well established working breeds were literally becoming extinct. Yes. Because they weren't being bred anymore. So, Nick, may I give you a a brief, super brief overview of the history of the horse in Britain? Perfect timing. 
let's just toss your mind casually back to 700,000 BC. Mm, got it. Where the first remains of a horse were found in Pakeford, Suffolk. Wait, the the first remains were found in 7,000 BC? The ear, I should say the earliest remains of okay, a horse there we go. <laughs> are dated to Pakeford, oh, Suffolk. Makes so much more sense. Which apparently, my understanding is that the what is now the islands of Britain and continental Europe were once or at various times in prehistory connected by a land bridge, not sure. unlike the land bridge which once spanned the Bering Strait. Mm-hmm. And so horses and other animals and therefore hunts peoples came across those land bridges and they became the first human or proto-human inhabitants of Britain. But point being, horses have been in Britain for a very long time. And one of the earliest pieces of art found in the British Isles is a picture of a horse engraved on a horse bone. Ooh. In a cave. Just in case we forgot what this bone belonged to. It's just, they're <laughs> just labeling exactly, it. That horse, was the labeling. Horse. The horse. other one was mushrooms from last Tuesday. <laughs> engraved on a mushroom. That one didn't, didn't last. Didn't last, no. <laughs> yeah, and that was 24,000 years before the modern era. Oof. Between 32,000 and 24,000 years before 2,000 years ago. I, I, it, is, it is impossible for me to wrap my head around something that old. Also, notable date around that time uh, where the, the horse bone was found is that Ian had just, his voice had just cracked. That's right. Right about that time, yeah. Yeah, that's why he sounds so rough in the last couple of years because he, I mean, you know, he's been singing for it's a long, it's almost a, 30, 300,000 years. Yeah, he's getting there. So, f- if we jump ahead a little bit, horses were, I would I would say, the fundamental technology mm-hmm. of life in Britain for thousands of years. The domestication of the horse was a literal game changer, a literal life changer. Oh, absolutely. Interestingly, though, they weren't, there's no evidence that they were used for plowing until much, much later. Plowing was the purview of oxen for most of the oh. Bronze Age, at least. Okay, sure. They were used for transportation. They were mm-hmm. used for riding, definitely mm-hmm. for warfare. And by the time the Romans were coming in, they were well established. I mean, as war machines, yeah. chariot horses, etc. Yeah. If you get a little bit later in the late Middle Ages Renaissance, there was a big effort to improve the stock of the horse in Britain. Oh, okay, sure. So various members of royalty would pay massive sums for projects which would bring horses from the continent, from Arabia. And there were all these laws about which horses could breed with which. And they were mm-hmm. they were very, very careful about cultivating the stock because, you know, the better horse you had, the more you could do. If you read, this is, of course, not England, but if you read The Count of Monte Cristo, there's all this talk about, like, the incredible horses that he has because he's obsessed with being everywhere as fast as possible. Oh, sure. Interesting. And horses permeated the culture. So there are 
miraculous events from the 7th century onward through the late Middle Ages, which center around horses. They were instrumental in famous battles, such as the Battle of Hastings, etc. And the funny thing is that by the time Ian was writing this song, horses in agriculture, the usefulness of horses in agriculture, had been on the decline for almost 200 years. Yeah, very substantially. I mean, how how long, at the time of the writing, how long was a, a simple combustion engine working? You well, know? yes, and, and before that, the steam engine. Oh, sure. Were there steam engines to plow a field, though? I mean, there, there very was, well could have been. There were steam engines that were used for various, I think for threshing was the big one, and mm. they would use horses to transport this big engine, but then they would set the engine up. Oh, sure. And happily to let it go, because the argument was, well, if you buy an engine, if you buy this machine, it only eats when it's working. Yeah. It never needs to sleep. You can rent it out to other people. And so it just made it made economic sense. Yeah. And then they, they fed the horses to the engine, right? <laughs> they did. It's, That's what it ran off of. Yeah. <laughs> horses. Bizarre. Really, really odd design. That being said, as of June 28th, Doc Savage sent me an email about an article that came up in The Guardian. Go on. About a vineyard in France that was using horses to yeah to plow their to plow their fields because they are more environmentally friendly and efficient now some of our listeners may not know that france is not in fact in england well right but i'm <laughs> in general the the resurgence nowadays but i mean hipsters are using penny farthings and uh, and carving well, yes. their own wool so it's not, it's not that unusual well and also in in the area that we grew up in nick we have the amish who for our That's listeners true. Who don't know yeah. are a traditional sect of german origin christians who reject most modern technologies and use horse drawn carriages as their sole mode of transportation they're not allowed to own or operate cars or machinery, like they don't do any technology on, they try not to do any technology, they don't, don't use any power or any machine on holy days. Yeah, they're very limited in what they can do. And and so you, it's a common sight now in my hometown to see a horse-drawn carriage going up the street. Yeah. I believe they're, are, they're, are they Dutch or German? I think they're... More a maybe maybe t- both. I don't know, um, but yeah, I mean, one of the ways that I leaving my house to go down to a job site, mm. we go through the Finger Lakes. I, I have to drive through the Finger Lakes region, and in this particular way, down through down through like Seneca Falls, heading south, you see all sorts of great big farms, all sorts of piles of horse poop on the side of the road because it's they're all farmers. And every single one has a sign that says fruits and vegetables and baked goods closed on Sunday. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. That's how you know you're that's one of the, the telltale signs. You know, you're an Amish country. Yeah. Yeah. Fun fact, the namesake of the band, Jethro Tull, the seven. Mm. 18th century agriculturalist, Mm -hmm. not only improved the seed drill, but also invented an improved version of the horse hoe. Ah. Well, I'll be. There is a song that we will be covering. Hang on. Steady on. (laughs) 
There is, let's see, a 914 bonus track number three off of this album is a song called Horse Hoeing Husbandry. I'm, I'm speechless, Nick. Yeah. Yeah, there it is. And now to speak some more. <laughs> so uh, just before we go on, I will have a link to that Guardian article in the show notes if anyone wants to to dig into that and just read up on it. Thank you, Doc Savage, for that. Thank you, Doc Savage. You are our guardian angel. Our guardian horse. So, Nick, needless to say, or needed to be said, and we have done, <laughs> that the horse is woven throughout the history of the British Isles in ways that we cannot even begin to cover in our podcast today. Yeah. But we can we can at least get into lyrically how how Ian is addressing it. Ironclad feather feet pounding the dust, an October's day toward evening, sweat embossed veins, standing proud to the plow, salt on a deep chest seasoning. Ironclad feather feet pounding the dust on October's day towards evening. Sweat embossed veins standing proud to the plow. Salt on a deep chest, seasoning. Now, Nick, when I was a youth, I thought that a lot of that was fanciful fairy type writing. No, no, it sounds poetic, but it's really just standard descriptor of, of yes. what the horse is doing. And, and some of its physical attributes, yeah. F- yeah. Feathered feet. Mm-hmm. Refer to the little wisps of hair that come off the back of the hooves. Mm-hmm. Maybe because it's it's English talk, it sounded a little fancier than we were accustomed to back when we were we were wee ones. But yes, but yeah, I mean it's it feels poetic, but it it's really just a basic, simple concept that he's getting across here. And that goes throughout. Last of the line at an honest day's toil. The way that fields were set up under the old system of agriculture which started in the middle ages was that every farmer would have a long strip of field and those would be contiguous Mm. with others that formed some kind of a bigger unit sure but you know you would go these long lines Mm -hmm. flint at the fetlock chasing the bone you know there's hard rocks that bite the horse flies at the nostrils plunder last of the line at an honest day's toil Turning the deep sod under Flint at the fetlock chasing the bone Flies at the nostrils plunder The fetlock is the joint down at the bottom. It's kind of like the, it's an ankle, I guess. Yes. What you would say, yeah. Then we have a list of some of the big Horses that were bred specifically for plowing. The yeah. Suffolk, the Clydesdale, the Percheron. And the Shire. And the Shire. Vie yeah. with the Shire on his feathers floating, hauling soft timber into the dusk to bed on a warm straw coating. The Suffolk, the Clydesdale, the Percheron, Vie with the Shire on his feathers floating, hauling soft timber into the dusk. To bed on a warm straw, I mean, Nick, when I first heard those lyrics, I just was filled with such a sense of place. It's so evocative. It is, it, I, I get such a visual when, yes. I, when I listen to this song. And maybe it's because I've been listening to it for like 20 years now. Well, 
15 years now at this point. I think it, I mean, for me, it was right off the bat. And it was, you know, it's, you can almost taste it. You can almost yeah. feel the the storm clouds brewing up ahead. Right. And yet still, it's not, he's not going out of his way to be crazy, descriptive, or floral. It's statement of fact, and yet it's all there. That's why I think that this is such a, a wonderful representation of Ian's incredible writing prowess. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah. as you say, he just sta- it's just statements of fact. Yeah. And it yet really it is. is done in such a way that it brings you to that moment in such an incredibly present way. It's like he pulled an article off of Wikipedia and made it into a song, almost, <laughs> you know? But I think that that's, you know, that's a good point, that it is the research of someone who has been there and seen it firsthand. Yet again. Yet again, as with all of the other animal songs we've heard on this album, yet again, it is directly observational. You can't make this stuff up. You can't wing it and talk about a horse this specifically unless you were there. It reminds me of a of a of a meme I saw where someone was making fun of a piece of writing that they had seen where a character was in Europe and it said like, oh, yes, they they put out three lines of coke, rolled up a euro and snorted it. And the writer's like, um, can we make sure that people like are familiar with the way that currencies work abroad before they uh, before they write these things? Because, of course, there is no one euro bill. And so if you curled up a euro, you'd have to be incredibly strong. Yeah, because it's a coin. Because yeah. it's, it's a coin. Yeah. yeah. And then we have the thesis, because you're down to the few and there's no work to do. The tractor is on its way. Yeah. And now you're down to the few and there's no work to do. The tractor is on and that ties in with that next line. Let me find a filly for your proud stallion seed to keep the old line going. Let me find you a filly for your proud stallion seed to keep the old line going. Yes, and there was, as you were alluding to earlier in the episode, there was an effort probably around this time of people realizing that some of the old lines were dying out and making mm-hmm. active efforts to preserve them for posterity. Yeah. There have been similar efforts with heirloom vegetables and fruits and things where people are realizing, oh no, like in 60 years, unless we do something in 60 years, there will be nothing but golden delicious, which, yeah, God, if that doesn't make me want to put a bullet uh, through my head, I don't know what does. I, I would take golden delicious over Macintosh, but mm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's. I think it's um, Cornell has some of some of the only examples of like specific apple trees, right, in the world. Yeah, because they're they're trying to conserve them. And I'm sure that there are or were in England at this time. You know. Oh, yeah. That's the last. Yeah. Of this yeah. breed of horse. Yeah, the the last golden delicious horse. <laughs> <laughs> I, I prefer a Granny Smith stallion. Granny, myself. Oh my gosh. That Granny Smith can pull a plow all day, not complain. Yeah. <laughs> so one line that's always confused me is, we'll stand you abreast at the back of the wood behind the young trees growing. And we'll stand you abreast at the back of the woods behind the young trees growing. What do you make of that? That they are... You have a place on the farm. They are no longer useful, so you just kind of find a place to stick them. They're no longer center stage. They're in the wings. Yeah, yeah. You get them out of the barn because that's where the tractor is. 
Oh, yeah, I like that. Maybe you cleared a little land and and built a, a kind of a shanty for them, and there's new growth around them. I think that's kind right. of probably what that yeah. is. Yeah, maybe even because the fields that they plowed are now no longer plowed because England is moving away from an agricultural ah sure based sure, economy. Sure. Uh huh. And so the fields are literally growing up with new trees. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then we have the kind of prophetic section. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What what happens when our we completely give up our reliance on these animals and go to something that is more fallible? Right. And as that article states, it's kind of happening. Sure. Yeah. The the oil barons are beginning to drip dry, or at least we are seeing the effect of what happens when we rely solely on one energy source. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the the ultimate lesson, I think, in that we can see in a in a lot of kind of underlying in a lot of tall songs is is monoculture, whether it's depending on a, hmm. a single plant, a single type of energy source, a single keeping all of your salmon in one area. It's if something gets sick, if something goes wrong, it's all downhill. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I think that's well well pointed out. Monoculture is awful. It truly is. Yeah. So. What we have in this later section with, you know, they'll beg for your grace and your... Yeah. And your bearing. Oh, sorry. They'll beg for your strength and your your gentle power. They'll beg for your strength, your gentle power, your noble grace and your bearing. And you'll strain once again to the sound of the gulls in the wake of the deep love. Etc. You'll strain once again to the sound of the gulls. That's a fun little image because when you till up land in England, because everything is close to the sea, the gulls come mm-hmm. and eat the bugs that have been turned up. Yeah. If the soil's healthy. I've got a velvet mondegreen for that. Is it a bear? <laughs> See, he's shaking his hair. I always thought it was, you'll strain once again to the sound of the guns. I think I used to hear that as well. Right, and I, I just get the image of like, Instead of whipping a horse, you, like, shoot the gun and get the horse, like, moving. It's absurd. It's a completely, <laughs> oh, yeah, like, American yeah, thing sure. to do. But I think that, actually, that's not that crazy looking at the next line. Okay. Standing like tanks on the brow of the hill. Okay, sure, yeah. Up into the cold wind facing in stiff battle harness chained to the world, which is probably my favorite line in the entire song. Standing like tanks on the brow of the hill. Mine is a little bit later, but that is now we're getting a little more poetic and a little more a little more imagery in here. But but it works. It works. But because he started off with such concrete descriptions. Yeah. He now has afforded himself the space to launch mm. into this post-apocalyptic fantasy here. Also because he made the, the song nine minutes long. That's That also right. gave him the, <laughs> the, the <Yeah>. buffer. <laughs> yeah, he has the space to do anything yeah. he wants. <laughs> My favorite line is, is coming up. It's the, in these dark towns, folk lying asleep as the heavy horses thunder by to wake the dying city with the living horseman's cry. Yes, I love that as well. In these dark towns, folk lie sleeping. The 
Dying City and Living Horsemen's is just, it's so, it's such a simple literary technique to, to make the, that very stark comparison between the two. Both, both of them are analogous. The city is obviously not dying. The Living Horseman is obviously alive, you know, but it's, they're using Mm. those as descriptors is, it's such a simple technique, but it's so, so powerful and so potent here dissimilar in that sense from Acres Wild, except that that song is set in the present and this song, this section of it at least, is set in the far future where, again, the answer is a return to traditional techniques. Sure. It, it's it's a little bit like Ian sees the horse plowing the field and then his mind gives him a vision of the future When the horses, which we have carefully preserved because we knew some old wise people knew that we were going to need them, have returned to save the day. And that it's almost like Merlin coming back in England's time of greatest need. You know, that old legend is the horses are coming back. Well, yeah, that and that ties in with the rest of this line. It once the old hands quicken. Mm, I love that. The young people don't know how to work with a horse, but these old people who have who have kept this breed alive, who have cultivated them, they're they're excited now. Their purpose has has come to fruition. They thrill to the sound of all the heavy horses coming home. Yeah. Oh, it's like Theoden being reawakened by Gandalf. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, what's the line? Perhaps you would feel perhaps you would feel younger if your hand gripped the pobble of your sword. What is that that Gandalf says? <laughs> I have no idea. You can look it up. It's so good. Your fingers would remember their own strength better. If they grasped your sword. But it's it's that. It's like, oh yeah, we have all these old useless people, but they have the knowledge. Yeah. Knowledge dies every day. Languages die every day. Sure. Because they are, quote unquote, no longer needed. You know? Yeah. But now we're in a place where we're realizing the value of that kind of thing. And interestingly, this is an interesting song to look at from an American perspective. Because there are so many American industries and subcultures where the horse is still used. And I'm sure that in England they are as well. I mean, apparently the last pit pony retired in 1999. Oh, wow. Yeah, which is horrible. And I think that they probably should never have been used for going down into mines. <laughs> yeah, and, right. Nor should human beings. Yeah, also that. Also, also... Let's use wind. It's there and it's, it, people don't die. <laughs> the sun. The sun comes out every day. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, here in the States, we have ranchers who use horses. We sure. have the Amish who use horses. We have professional farriers who, yeah. that's all they do. They put sh- shoes on horses. Let's not forget the most noble of uses for horses, dressage. <laughs> That is the most noble usage of horses. Speaking of Versailles. That's valid, yeah. Rich white assholes dancing on horses. Now, Nick, I think we're sort of getting out of the song a little bit here. No, that was the whole point of my doing this episode was to rag on dressage. (laughs) To rag on dressage. (laughs) 
horses have been very, very historically in the prehistory period, but also more recently been used as food. That's true. In England, it has almost always been, you know, in living memory or certainly and in even historical memory, it's almost always been a sort of a last resort or it's the, oh, well, it's literally going to die. Well, we may as well eat it. Yeah. Because if it has other value outside of just being food, you know, you wouldn't eat a hen that has years of egg laying ahead of it. No, that'd be foolish. You wouldn't eat a cow that could have plenty of babies and therefore keep producing milk. You're killing the golden goose in that case. Exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah. But if the goose is no longer golden. It's just a regular goose and it's it's not even laying eggs. Eat it. May I tell you a small anecdote? Yes, please do. Stop me if you've heard this one before. I there's there's a chance. <laughs> when when I was in Italy studying in my college years, my folks came to visit me there. My that included my brother, his wife and their daughter. The wife and daughter being of course obsessed with horses. Mm-hmm. Evie has lots of ribbons for riding horses, Marlis has lots of horses. And I was acting as translator because I was the only one who knew any Italian. So we were making our way around Rome, and we stopped at a little cafe to have lunch, and uh, we went up to the the counter where they have all these pre-made delicious-looking sandwiches, and I said, well, we'll have two of those and one of those, and let's get one of those, and I'm not sure what that is. Let's have one of those. That's great. And just got us a bunch of sandwiches, and the nice gentleman put them all out, and we sat down at the table, and we were eating, and they were like, oh, what's this? And I was like, that's prosciutto. It's wonderful. It's probably prosciutto San, San Daniele, because I was like super thought I was fancy. And they were like, what's this one? I was like, that's salumi. It's from this town, blah, blah, blah. And they were like, what's this? And I was like, I actually don't know, but it's delicious. So next time I passed by the counter, I was like, excuse me, signore, this dark meat here, which one is that? He's like, ah, questo, questo è cavallo, which means this is horse. And so I went, and very quietly sat down next to my brother who was munching away on the horse sandwich. And I said <laughs> into his ear, don't tell Marlis or Evie, <laughs> but you're eating horse. <laughs> and his eyes went, Bloop! and he kind of looked at me and then he went, chew, 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 swallow. The, the problem is your brother, as long as I've known him, has been hard of hearing. So you had to scream into his ear. <laughs> <laughs> There's no, no secrets. <laughs> I made sure to speak very clearly. Yeah. <laughs> was it good, though? Was it good? I'm sure it was, it was totally oh my fine, God. right? Delicious, yeah. Yeah, of course. Of course. I mean, this, the same goes for, for guinea pigs in Ecuador and dogs in, in other cultures. I can't I name one. But, I mean, people eat animals. Yeah, meat's tasty. Yeah, meat's tasty. And in cultures where there's not CAFOs and, and slaughterhouses set up in 50 states, they eat what they can eat. Sure. And in France and Italy, there's a bigger tradition of eating horses. There's more. It's in France. It was considered a delicacy. I believe there are even a few restaurants that still like specialize in that. It's not it's not taboo. It's not taboo. Whereas in England, it's that would be fairly taboo. Yeah. And in fact, I think that's one of the, the points of contention between France and England. Sure. That and Agincourt. Still, they won't let that go. They won't let it go. <laughs> Nick. Omen. Anything else on the subject of heavy horses? How often do you reckon this song has been played in concert? 
Oh golly, you know, yeah, I bet it, it's been a long time since we uh, since yeah, we visited this. I bet that it's been played a lot, but I bet that it has been played in spurts with long periods of it not being played. Mm. Okay, that's fairly accurate. Uh, so we've got. 592 times by Tull. Wow. Tull specifically. That being said, we also have Ian Anderson credited for 225 times. Wow. And Martin Barr for 29. That's more than I thought, actually. So all told, that's 846 times between the three entities. First time it was played was May 1st, 78 in uh, Scotland. Then the last time it was played was July 31st, 2011 in Germany. Mm -hmm. It was played the most often in 2008 at 75 times. Wow. Then 97, it was played 52. 2003, it was 45, 44. And it, it, it drips down the list. But it was a smattering. They didn't play it at all. 84, 85, 86. That's when we were being born. That's it. They were too busy with us being born, I guess. Yeah, yeah their attention was elsewhere. Yeah. Once in 89, not in 90, and then not in like 07 or 06. Interesting. Yeah. Well, that shouldn't surprise me. It's a very, it makes sense that it's a popular song. It's sort of a big set piece. It's a decent spread, but yeah, it is also a really big. And I know they've, we got to remember that they were they were touring albums and they, they had different themes, sure. you know, so, so they didn't all, it didn't always fit into certain pieces, but yeah. So that's, that's, that's one of the bigger ones, I would say. One of the heavier ones. Yeah. One of the heavier horses. What do we have to look forward to talking tall about next week? Next week is our final track off of the album proper, not including bonus tracks, obviously. Do, 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 We will tell the weather to you. But no, that's, I, I got nothing. Um, yeah, it's Weathercock. It's Weathercock. It is track number, I believe it's, is it nine? Track nine, yeah. The fourth track off of Side B, Weathercock. Fourth and final. Amazing. Until next week. Oh, wow. Until next week, you need to spread our broad stallion seed in the form of a five-star review. (laughs) Hmm. Fertilize us with the manure (laughs) of your positive thoughts and writings. And you can ride this pony (laughs) from Devonshire to Shropshire. Forget all of those fancy tractors on Patreon. Support these horses, these old aged horses. (laughs) Support the traditional (laughs) agricultural art form of recording a podcast. (sighs) Until next week, I am the sprightly foal that is Omen Sade. I am the old nag that is due for dog food, Nick McGill. 
We are the pile of rusty horseshoes that is Talk Tall to Me. And we are the salt lick that is Feckless Moms. Nice. Ooh, Ugba. Spear sharp. Boglu. Spear very sharp. Watch finger. Watch finger. Watch finger. Oh no. Oh no. Cut finger. Finger finger red now. Finger red. Finger red. Oh, 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 oh what is what is that? That that's that be- land where sea was. That We walk? We walk now? Walk we More talk hungry. Oh, very hungry. More talk blood sugar low. <laughs> More talk hangry. Ooh, sea footmark. What? S- Round what? foot? Unknown. Unknown Ra- footmark look tasty. Lick footmark. Lick footmark. Mm. Mm, footmark taste, good. Taste good. Taste good. S- spear thirsty for red. What what make footmark? Me foot no mark. Like footmark? Me footmark pretty. That footmark meat look. Follow footmark. <laughs> oh, footmark. Oh, footmark. 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 Me, big meat. Me want foot. Me want to eat? Me want eat big meat footmark. Me want pet. Me want stab. Stabs? Stab? Perhaps me ride? Uglot. Uglot ride meat? Uglot silly. Uglot bump head on, on hard land. Before meat. Before meat, while still footmark, Uglot ride. Ride meat. Ride foot meat, then eat foot meat. After foot meat no longer ride. Me agree. Hmm. Hmm. Me name, me name this creature, talk tall to me. Talk tall to me. Talk, talk tall, tall to me. me. Proud member. Oh. Proud of member. Fact of factless, factless moms. Mm. Audio network. Me scratch that on bone of meat. <laughs> me scratch that on factless mom bone. <laughs>